What's your passion? We're on a mission to make a real difference. Soulfront. At Soulfront, we're on a mission to interview interesting people with a passion to make significant change. Our interviews are conversational, lighthearted, and we like to inject some fun in there too. We're looking for the person behind the passion to understand what it takes to be significant. So please join us. I want to tell you about Work Nicer. Work Nicer is a co-working space based in Alberta that's growing by the hundreds. Located at the Roxbury, Stephen Avenue, and Red Mile locations in Calgary, and now the Beaver House in Edmonton, it continues to grow. What they say at Work Nicer is no one succeeds alone and that you belong here. Their culture is devoted to friendliness, openness, and it's just a fun place to work. My favorite is Drink Nicer on Fridays, but there's so many different activities to do. It's truly an electric place for entrepreneurs, artists, and creators to spend their time. I highly recommend that you book a tour. Now back to the show. Alex, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for uh, coming out today. Before we start, I just want to go into a little bit of your background, a little bit about you. I like this. This is actually fun because you had a fun kind of bio. It starts off with, you know, miscellaneous security companies back in 2005. <laughs> and then Cura Security is a company that you have still. It's a tech-focused, forward-thinking security automation company. You have a company that you worked on in 2014, Ion Tracking. Mm-hmm. That was a simple turnkey service that blended physical hardware with SaaS. And around the same time, you started 100 Men Who Give a Damn. And I, I love that idea. We could chat about that a little bit in, in the podcast. Sure. Then in 2015, doorbuzzing.com, which you acquired for San Francisco startup, internet-enabled call box helper. Today, you also have well, Work Nicer. This is Alberta's largest co-working community. Around like 2016, 17, you also had like a string of other companies that you have got involved in community activities that you got involved in. Gen YYC, which is creating leadership in Calgary and the community. The Calgary Coworking Alliance, founder of, you're involved in the Calgary Stampede, the Grandstand Committee. The list kind of goes on here. I'm, I'm just going to keep going. I don't think I've ever gone through a list this extensive before. Cool. Musica, that's 2017, and that's taking the stress out of promoting your events. Social Veil, visual content calendar built by social media managers to social media managers. Enyes. And Enyes is a sustainable fashion brand catering to the luxury market. So, I mean, got a ton of stuff going on. And <laughs> like, if I were to ask you, what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you approach that question? Yeah, if you were to ask me, what do I do? First of all, it's, it's so crazy to hear somebody else go through that list. So yeah, it sounds like a little intimidating, to be honest. But yeah, I think, what do I do at the end of the day if you really distill it down? My passion is connecting people together that under no other circumstance would otherwise connect around a common purpose. And so really that is what my two main focuses are, are work nicer and 100 men who give a damn. Both of those things, and those are very intertwined in, in terms of the story. I'd say that that, if I had to give like a one sentence answer, that is what I do. Now, usually in my podcast, what I'd like to do is kind of bring it back a little bit. Think back in time, get in the DeLorean. And I want to raise 
these fun facts about yourself. You mentioned on your own website that you've been fired one time, you've lived in 10 cities, you've bought 17 iPhones, you've tried probably over a thousand beers plus. Those are all really cool, interesting things. I like that you have a little bit of fun in your bio in a lot of ways. If you're kind of go back and think of sparks in your life, things that happened in your life that helped define you as a person, well, what would you say? And I don't know if this is like a, kind of a cop-out answer at all, but I think a big part of it is my parents. That's a huge spark. A lot of the lessons that they have taught me, I carry through, uh, especially from a reputation perspective. You know, they, they taught me actions of consequences, and that's something which it hasn't necessarily stopped me from making poor choices, <laughs> but it's helped me get through those and say, oh yeah, I knew that bad decisions lead to unfortunate outcomes or undesirable outcomes. But also, I mean, I grew up on a farm and so they taught me that there was no nine to five. I never experienced that growing up. You did what you had to do when you had to do it. Like That kind of stuff was conditioning me for what would come in the future. And I think there was even more to that in terms of, especially as we get into security and door-to-door sales and going back further in, you know, from a DeLorean perspective, I think a lot of it is too, uh, lessons from my parents and people that they would like books on tape and people that we would go hear speak. And one of the big lessons is from a guy named Zig Ziglar. You can have everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. And you can call that whatever you want, right? That is, that is the golden rule. That is karma. That is what pay it forward. However you want, like there's a million different variations of what that is. If you want to distill it down to a spark moment, I believe very, very much in that mentality. With your folks, you mentioned that certain actions have consequences. Do you remember a story behind that? I think, I think it would come up after everything. Every growing up, whether you're, you stay out late and you drink too much, actions have consequences. But all the way through to business even, right? It's just like if shit's really hitting the fan, they say, you know what, hey, like, you, you got yourself here. So I, I'm having a tough time pulling a, a significant story that would have impact because it, it was something to me that was just like so ingrained. Even proactively, they would just say like, hey, when you, wherever you're going tonight, remember, actions have consequences. And they would also be really open though too, where if you need a ride or you need to get picked up, they didn't really shackle me with curfews and a lot of rules. They had extremely high expectations. Mm-hmm they would let it happen. So they would never really stop me from doing anything. They would always talk me through things and allow me to get to my own decision, whether or not they really agreed with it. And sometimes we would really fight about it and argue about it. And if you ask any of my friends growing up, our house was an extremely animated household in terms of our discussions. But I think they realized early on, I'm going to make my own decision. I can justify what I want to justify, when I want to justify it. I'm extremely good at arguing. And at the same time, I'm super open-minded. If I have an opinion, I'm really going to stick to it. I'm going to want to do what I want to do. And so I think they realized that. And rather than trying to change me, would embrace it and say, man, if this kid can survive up until adulthood, this will probably work out in his benefit down the road. I just find it interesting with your family. I know that your brother also runs a wine tour company. You and your brother seem very entrepreneurial in a lot of ways. I was just wondering if it was shaped with your parents' own experience. 
I think so. We grew up on a farm. My dad had a small trucking company. And then we moved into Lethbridge. They bought a couple franchise businesses there. And even when my dad, was, if he was working for somebody else, he was doing sales. And so it was something very relatable to. And, and they were always saying yes and looking into new opportunities that were outside of the box. Like they were never really people that would be super close-minded and say, hey, I, I have to go and do this because this is the way that everybody else does it. Not that there's necessarily a problem with the way that everybody else does things. Just because somebody else does it doesn't mean that I also have to. And so that certainly translated down to us. And they allowed it to happen. You know, I was in high school and started my first business. It was this car audio company where we would just rip people's cars apart, not knowing what we're doing and throwing new speakers. And hopefully it worked <laughs> afterwards. And they just let it. They're like, OK, yeah, use the garage, do what you have to do. And some stranger's vehicle would be in there and they would just let that happen. And so I think it's they definitely kind of planted that seed and then they allowed it. They allowed that to flourish over time, too. So coming out of your garage, installing radio equipment or... (laughs) (laughs) So where did that lead to? That didn't necessarily specifically lead to another thing. It's not like it's like, oh, I did car audio and now I'm going to do some other low voltage business. I think what that did was it just taught me... It was just another one of those step along the way in terms of the the entrepreneurial journey. I think I knew that it wasn't going to be a forever thing, but it taught me a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff which, not even just business-wise, even just everyday, day-to-day skills, how a car works and all that kind of stuff. One of the things that you'd mentioned is that you never thought of yourself as an entrepreneur a lot of ways until later. Hmm. But if you kind of look back on your life, when did you start seeing that happen? And maybe, you know, talking to the the miscellaneous security companies, hmm. kind of part of your life. I mean, I guess I always just thought of it as, I don't think that you just decide to be an entrepreneur. I think that you are one or you aren't. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to either be an accountant or I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I don't think it works like that. And so to me, I guess I didn't really care about the title. It's not like, oh, I need to be an entrepreneur. I just want to be called. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just doing things. This is what I want to do. I'm going to go do that. This is why I like it or don't like it. Eventually, that started to look like what most people would call an entrepreneur. That's kind of, I think, what I say in terms of once other people started saying it, okay, there's got to be some truth to that. That's why I'll take it and I'll own it. And I feel like more of an entrepreneur now with Work Nicer, especially because we create everything. It's all there. Even with my other businesses, with the security companies and stuff, we could get as creative and as forward thinking and unique as we wanted to a certain point. But we weren't manufacturing our own hardware and we weren't building our own monitoring stations. And so there's only so much that you can do when you're at the mercy of these other companies. I think truly like the reason that I feel m- way more entrepreneurial today than ever before is because it's like we're creating something completely from scratch. There's no limits. And that means that we get to say yes to certain opportunities, but more importantly, we almost, we have to say no to certain opportunities as well and know how to navigate that. I feel like previously there was almost bumpers that were up a little bit. And there's plenty of room to screw up in between, but you know you can only go so far in a certain direction. You've gotten to a place where you feel you're fully immersed as an entrepreneur. One of the things that you mentioned when you were working with Ion Tracking, you lost the passion at some point. What does that mean? I really love that question. I think a lot of people disguise belief in something as passion. 
I think the security business is almost an even better example. And I think with my security experience, you know, straight out of high school, I went and I worked for all these different security companies down in the U.S. and throughout Canada. But fast forward, ended up starting a company in Calgary with a partner, and we built that into mostly a nationwide thing. But the point with all that very condensed version of the story is that you know I spent 10 plus years in security systems all over the continent to believe in the product. I love it. I use it every day. It's changed people's lives. I've seen it, how it's impacted people extremely positively. Point is, it's, it's checking all these boxes that most people would say, oh, you've like figured it out. You're an expert in something that you believe in and you can sell it and you have a business. You must be passionate. Hmm. But at the end of the day, if I was really honest with myself, I wasn't. That doesn't mean that you don't believe in something, though. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? Even if you're not 100% there as an entrepreneur, maybe you're dabbling in something or you're part of a a team. Sometimes you're there to pick up different parts of what you want to have to have the skill set to maybe do something. I don't know if that's a part of it. Yeah, it totally can be. Even in that scenario, why wouldn't I be passionate about that stuff? Well, at the end of the day, our team was extremely remote. We didn't have ongoing relationships with customers. If we did our job correctly, we would never see you as a customer ever again, which most of the time we did an okay job. And so that's the thing. It's like, well, it's not really much of a people business. You're not going to have a crazy great relationship with Shaw because of your cable. You just want it to work, and that's awesome. You can be a super loyal customer, but that doesn't mean if you're a if you're a people person, that's not necessarily going to fulfill what you want to do. And so that's what it was for me. Is like this just wasn't actually bringing me joy on a daily basis the way that I know that something else could, despite it being like totally meaningful. Can you maybe go into? A uh, hundred men who give a damn now, because I think it's it's just a good segue. Maybe this was at a point in your life where you were thinking, I, I want to hold on to something that really means something very important to me. Mm-hmm. Where did a uh, hundred men who give a damn come from? Yeah, I like that, and I, and you're totally on the right track with where and why that was happening, when it was happening. It was at the point with my security business, and I was coming up. I think I was 28 or so. And I started thinking about my 30th birthday. Not that I really care about birthdays or, or you know, age is just a number. I believe in all that stuff. But it was this milestone that for one reason or another was causing me to think and reflect. I wasn't exactly sure. I'm like, I, I don't think I want to do the security thing forever. So I'll say, well, what else am I going to do? And that's when I started trying to think about what else I could do, look around, try and really figure out what was important to me. I went, applied for some jobs even. I've never really had a real job in my life. I got offers realized immediately that that was not a good idea. I think I would be one of the least employable people (laughs) ever. (laughs) So not good for me, not good for the employer. And so right around that time, like I, I had been part of this business group in Calgary for several years. And there's another guy in that group that brought up this idea of starting this hundred men thing. And right away I said, I'm in, I said, I knew I, I was searching and needing to do something and I didn't know exactly what it was and that came up. I said, this makes sense, it seems simple, let's go do it. And so 100 Men, is it's built on the simple idea that it's 100 guys that get together once a quarter. We hear from three of the members about a local charity that they care about for some reason and we all vote 
whoever gets the most votes will get a hundred dollar donation from each one of those members so it's ten thousand dollars once a quarter to a local charity right Mm -hmm. simple easy and that's awesome raises a bunch of money but what i started to see happening beyond the money was that and this is where when you asked me what do i do i started seeing all of these guys that under no other circumstance would otherwise connect got young people and older people and office workers and labor workers to people with degrees and dropouts and whatever you have all these different demographics of people that you would never ever connect and they're connecting for this common purpose that's greater than themselves and i said you know what this is now this is special and i said how can i do this every day of the year instead of just four days a year because we met quarterly and so truthfully that's exactly where work nicer came from we're trying to accomplish the exact same thing that we're doing with 100 men. We're just, you know, we use workplace as a catalyst, as, as like the vessel in order to make that happen. That's not the product. Workplace is not the product that we sell. Do you remember when you started recognizing that it was something special? It was immediately. We went to people that we knew. The media picked it up super fast. Sitting there and people were putting in extra time and effort and energy and would come in and record videos. It was just like right away we saw that it worked. It took no time at all for me to realize that it's like, hey, this is something that at least to me is more than just raising a couple dollars. Like even the tagline with a lot of the things that you do, I have this feeling where it's pretty authentic and then that's what's the magnet for people to come and do it. Were there certain qualities that you were looking for with this group? Did you find that you're able to achieve that? We ended up setting up like a board for 100 men. It became a quick discussion about, well, what's our goal? At first, we just said, we even designed the logo for growth. We wanted it, we, there's, there's room in the logo for another zero. So the idea was that let's grow this to 1,000 men. Yeah. But I realized, you know what, to me, the charity is not our customer here. It's our members. We're not primarily a fundraising organization, in my opinion. I think that's a great byproduct of what we do and that money is important and it goes to great causes and all that kind of stuff. To me, I really wanted to go deeper versus wider. And so that was a bit of a struggle with some people, including the guy that I started it with, because he just wanted to go, he wanted to go for growth. And that's good, right? Intentions are awesome. At the end of the day, it took us a little bit of time to refocus our mandate. And so now our board has changed a little bit. We're really focused on this depth, not width. And so we've actually limited, we, we kind of hit the reset button mm-hmm. on membership. We said, hey guys, you know, we, we want people to come. If you just want to donate money from time to time, that's totally fine. We're going to tell you who the charities that are selected are. Donate to them directly. We're limiting it to 100 people, and we want those 100 people to put their credit card on file so we never have to talk about money. Right? The money's an autopilot. We're going to talk about all the meaningful stuff. That way, is, hey, we want 100 guys. It gets consistent, and then we'll figure out what to do next. Does that mean we're not going to grow? I don't know. But right now, it's like it's 100 guys every time. And if you can't make it, that's fine. Your money's on autopilot, but you know you're committed. As we start to do that, and that's really been happening over the last six to nine months, this transition. Now that we've kind of got that and we're at these hundred, actually, I think we are just over a hundred technically. And so now that we're at that point, 
it is saying to us like, okay, well now what? All of our time and effort, because it is volunteer, has all went into transitioning and creating the new systems. And so now we've got a really cool board in place. We've got some neat strategies to start diving into relationships. Our mission is to build an army of men who give a damn about the community and each other. We're gonna start off by trying to make sure that we're connecting these guys together or giving them opportunities to connect whenever possible. You started 100 Men Who Give a Damn and you're thinking, you know, I'd like to do this every day. Where was that? Like, how did it happen? What were the series of events that led to the first Worknicer? So 100 Men came out of that business group that I was in, that I mentioned. So did the first 10 members of Worknicer. And so I went back to the same group that I've been developing relationships with over the last several years. I kind of had the co-working, I didn't realize it was called co-working really at the time, but I had this idea of working with others and getting an office. With my tracking business, Ion Tracking, my partner and I were looking for workspace anyway. And so then we shelved that idea. I said, okay, how can I merge 100 men and this workspace idea together? And so that's where I went back to this business group of 10 people that we had already built close relationships with. I said, here's kind of the loose concept. There's a real estate agent that's found this space that might work. Is this something that if I pulled the trigger that you would be in? And so I got yeses from those people. That was kind of how it all started. It looked way different than it does today. That's how it all started. So I don't know where that was. I do remember though, the one thing I remember really was just like sitting down and like building this first version of this website myself. And man, I, I wonder if I still have it somewhere. But I mean, it was only like three and a half years ago, really. I remember we were down in Montana, my family for Thanksgiving, I think it was. Mm. And I just sat there the whole time, like building this site. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing. <laughs> and so then, uh, so that maybe was the big moment to me that was like, okay, this is getting truly real was kind of over that period of time. Right. From there to doors opening, what occurred? We opened in December and incorporated the first week of November. And so basically between Thanksgiving and opening, in this order, I built the website, I created a membership agreement, which listed an address on it that we didn't have a lease on. <laughs> I went to these people, had them sign this membership agreement with a company that didn't exist for a place that didn't exist. And then I said, okay, I need two months membership. They said, I'm like, just email it to me. I said, okay, we'll email it to you. And so they emailed it and I didn't have a bank account or a company yet. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. And so then uh, I'm like, okay, shit, I guess I should go set up a company and go get a bank account. So I did that as quickly as possible, hoping that they wouldn't cancel the e-transfers. And then got that set up as that was happening, signed the lease. Cause I'm like, okay, great. I can sign the lease. I can use this money as the deposit to put down on that lease and then we can get the doors open. That's what we did. So they, I deposited those e-transfers. I said, all right, we're gonna be moving in December 2nd and handed over all the cash that I got from them as my deposit for the lease. And then I knew from there, I was like, okay, now we just gotta go stay one month ahead of everything else. And so that's kind of the like logistical sequence of events, events. that happened. How did you feel through that process? You know, it was, it was stressful. But what's funny is that my coping mechanism with when things get really tough or when I'm faced with a super difficult decision 
is I usually end up just saying, well, what's the worst that can happen? Right, so I set up this company, and I can't even remember if we signed a personal guarantee in that lease or not, or if I did. But I said, worst case scenario, this we just just declare bankruptcy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And people are like, what? Like that? Like what do you mean? Like that's not okay, because we're like trained to think that that's like the worst thing that can happen in your whole life. And I'm like, well, what is the like? What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. And I mean, and I went through some stuff starting my security business years before, where I went and maxed out credit cards and had to figure out how to deal with that, and my credit rating took a huge hit. And so, you know, I and then I realized through all that stuff, that's like, well, none of that matters if you just live within your means really and so even with bankruptcy and i knew worst case scenario this thing goes bankrupt i go back to selling something door to door and i can just go and make some money and survive if for some reason i can't do that i'll just move home with my parents and it's like is that so bad no not really did you have other people around you at the time who I guess it was people from like the hundred um, hundred men group that could give you guidance, or were in similar spots before that you could also feed off of, or were, was it you who kind of thought a different way and they would take from you? I think I do always generally try and surround myself with people that I can talk to. I think I've learned to be a lot more transparent and open and vulnerable since then. And that was something which I really tried to do with Work Nicer from the very beginning. In the security business, it's very closed, it's very competitive, it's very lonely. I was basically trying to figure out like, okay, what did I screw up with the security business and how do I not do it here? Whether that is business-wise or personally, mentally, whatever it is, you know. And so really from the beginning, it's always been just like, this is what it is, this is where we're at. If it's for you, great. If it's not, that's fine. We'll find someone that it is for. I feel like there's a lot of people around me that I talk to and confide in now. I have a I have a close group that I go to for just like, it's not formal, but more formal stuff where it's like, hey, we're going to sit down and really talk through some of the shit that's going on or whatever. But generally speaking, if you go and you look at blog posts that I put out or work nicer updates or what have you, there's it's always been very open and honest and transparent starting the culture originally it all kind of comes together over a short period of time yeah but as it's grown how have you thoughtfully put together the the culture of Worknizer? and i think that's that's a big difference is that a lot of businesses will start and they'll be oh yeah culture is important as soon as we get up and going and as soon as we get our systems figured out and as soon as we get some business then we're going to focus on this culture thing or as soon as this gets better, or, or hey, now that we're busier and faster and whatever, we need to we need to do some culture stuff. Maybe we should wear jeans on Fridays, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> you know, and and that's not doing culture. That's like bolting on an attempt at culture. It's interesting though because I was asked to do a little talk about culture before Christmas. It was in December, November. Oh yeah, sure, I'll do it because I feel like culture is important. We talk a lot about culture on our team, members or general public or whoever will come in and say, you got a great culture. I'm like, sure, I'll talk about culture. And then I went to go prepare this talk. I'm like, what am I actually talking about? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I'm like, am I talking about what is culture, how to identify it, how to identify bad culture, how to change it, how to build it, how to, what is it? It was actually like a really, really hard thing for me to figure out what are we talking about here? Because it's so ingrained. If I kept distilling it down, 
it's just like I, I got to the point where I was just like, uh, well, don't be a shitty person. <laughs> that was one of my notes, and it actually formed one of my slides. And the problem is, is that like, shitty people don't know that they're shitty. Mm-hmm. Right, and so if you keep distilling that down though further, it really it really does come down to this golden rule thing: do the right thing, and that's kind of what we did. And so we said we knew that this is how we're going to operate. We're going to operate transparent and open, and we're going to connect people together, and we're going to communicate that message to others. And if it doesn't align with you, that's fine. It doesn't mean that it's not a you're with us or against us thing, because that's the other thing that people often fall down into is that, it's, well, if you're not with me, we're not friends. I'm like, well, no, it's fine. We're just not the right fit. Right? We'll help you find somebody that is. It's always been that commitment to doing the right thing, sticking with the culture when it's hard. So at the beginning, when we didn't know how all the bills were going to get paid and all the offices weren't full, and somebody comes in and says, yeah, I'll pay you that $30,000 a year for that office. And we say, well, no, sorry, I, I don't think it's it's not a good fit. That's really hard to do. But I think that that's the reason why now today all of our offices are always full. We've still got a few to fill in Edmonton because we're just getting open up here. They're always full, and that's why it's those things that are so incredibly foundational that is culture. And I think we've designed the business differently as well, like a business model perspective solely around culture and connecting people and being really intentional about the way that we connect people and who's involved. And that feeds the business model, and the business model feeds the culture. So it's this like infinite loop type of a thing where these are not independent like this is dna stuff it's not a you got the business model over here and the culture over here it's like no like one cannot exist without the other can you go into just people that work for work nicer you feel that have made it the place to work or maybe even just the origin stories of of creating your team from a team perspective super lean team Uh, Right now, there's four and a half of us that are on the team. We've got some contractors, and most of those are members that actually like build out a part of the team. They're not like employees; they they still have their own businesses as well, but they're definitely part of the team. But the core group started. The first hire was her name is Phoebe Davis. She started almost from the very beginning. We opened in December. She came on like April. We actually ended up hiring Phoebe through the Mount Royal internship or co-op program, leveraged a Canada Summer Jobs Grant in order to make that happen. And we didn't exactly know what she was going to do. Hey, yeah, we've got like these things, but we're still figuring it out. I just knew that with my security business, I didn't hire soon enough. I held too many things close to my chest. And by the time I needed and was ready and willing to admit that I needed help, it was like too hard to bring somebody else on because it was like so much information to try and pass on and I had the business to run. I couldn't figure out how to do it. So I said, I don't want to do that ever again. I want to bring somebody on early. And that also helps me from an accountability perspective because I'm not really accountable to myself because at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I'll figure it out. But if I have other people that are relying on me, then I'm really going to need to figure it out. That's where Phoebe came from. And fast forward today, she's still here. We kept her on for the next year or two through her program at Mount Royal. She was paid full time and worked 
you know, she wasn't in full time, but definitely putting the effort. She was at home and working. And so now she is, she's work nicer stage manager. So kind of like director of operations. She's the one that underpins a lot of the processes that need to happen in order to run the rest of the business. We had somebody else who was working for us who no longer is. And then we moved into, I think it was eight months ago or so, Ariel Land joined the team. And this is great because Ariel was a member at WorkNacer for about a year. And she really missed being a part of a team. She joined the WorkNacer team. Her, her role is magic maker. I mean, our team is really small, so it's ever-changing. Everybody kind of does everything. Her big thing is that she's out in the world and kind of the face of work nicer, especially in Edmonton, as we've been spent the last year and a half or two years up here making friends, getting to know the community, asking the community what they need. We're not just coming up here and, and copy-pasting work nicer from Calgary to Edmonton. This, a lot of it has been just like her creation and her connecting with people here. We like to think of Ariel's kind of the relationships with people before they are a member recently i think two or three almost three months ago jen lepa joined the team and she used to work at benevity she was there for three or four three years four years uh i think she was around like employee 80 at benevity and now they are like 500 or something so she saw some really cool stuff happen there and she said she was just starting to kind of plateau and want to be a part of something that is like more significant change on a daily basis. And so we knew that we needed help as a team, especially with Edmonton coming up. We, again, didn't know exactly what Jen was going to do. And so we kind of figured that out with her. She came in and basically just hung out at WorkNacer for a while and got to know some of the members. And that was kind of like that interview process. With Ariel, we had a year-long interview process because yeah. <laughs> she was a member forever. And so, but at the same time, that was tricky because we thought she would just transition right into the team. But when you're a member, there's actually a lot of stuff behind the scenes that goes into making everything so awesome for members that members don't apparently see, despite us being really transparent and open. And so we kind of just thought she knew it all already because she was a member. And so that was a little tricky from a transitional perspective. And so now Jen has kind of settled into the role where if Ariel's doing everything kind of before somebody's a member, Jen takes care of everything. At, oh, sorry, her title. So her title is culture evangelist. And so, <laughs> and so Jen's job is to make sure that members have what they need to have an incredible experience. To oversimplify everything, you kind of think about it, it's like, Ariel takes care of things before people are a member. Jen takes care of things after they're a member. And Phoebe sets the stage to underpin all of it to try and make that happen. Have you found it difficult to hand off ideas? You kind of explained it a little bit where you have people that are a part of the team over long periods of time, even working in Work Nicer, like Ariel, mm-hmm. where they experience it, right? And then they're able to translate. But you seem to have a lot going on. <laughs> Yeah. How, how do you hand off your ideas? Handing off my ideas is easy. Because <laughs> saying, hey, here's another idea and another <laughs> idea. And let's go do this now. <laughs> Having that actually happen and distill, that's, that's where the breakdown happens. Is that it's they, the team will say, hey, that's a great idea, but it's impossible to do in two days. Right? <laughs> or whatever it is. That's something that we're working on now, especially as we're spread across two cities and three outposts, soon to be four outposts. How do we continue to to do this? That's coming back to me is because I, again, operate extremely well in a we'll just figure it out attitude. 
unfortunately, the team has been willing to step up to that. That's one thing truly that we can't continue to do at any level of scale. We need to get better at processing better systems and processes around things. And it's also not fair to the team just because I operate that way doesn't mean it's best for them to operate that way either. How do we pass it off? It just is I'm getting better at getting them out to the team center and saying, how can we do this? But at the same time, we're trying to stay laser focused. So it's like we have our set of guiding principles and we know who we are and what we do. And so there's a lot of ideas that come out and say, you know what, that's just not going to fit what we're focused on right now. And that's okay too. Looking back on the experience that you've had, would you give your 30-year-old self some advice? Could you turn back the clock? And I know that you almost say that, hey, you know what? I learned from the experience, which is probably the most important thing. If you could turn back, tell yourself a few things, what would they be? I mean, generally, you're right. I would say that I wouldn't want to change anything because I know that what has happened is what has resulted in today. So I would almost just say, well, by the way, so I'm I'm only 32, so it's only two years ago, 30-year-old self. <laughs> <laughs> but if you wanted to go younger, I think I would say, I think it would be something to the effect of trust that process or mom and dad are right. Because there was a period of time with my security stuff, especially when I was working for different companies down in the States, that I had to figure that all that out. I was, I was making really good money and I was young and I had no real responsibilities. I was kind of falling into this bullshit about buying stuff that didn't matter to impress people that I don't know. And so I really, I guess, wish that I could have learned or known what I was going to get out of that without having to go through it. And so I guess maybe that would be it. If I could, even though my parents and other people around me would say the same thing, if I could somehow tell myself that and actually believe it and execute on it, maybe that's what I would change. But I'm really, really thankful for having gone through that. Have that be the problem that I would face. It's just poor decision-making on my part. It's not something that was like put on me by external circumstances. This is more of a, a fun question. And I think that you've you've answered. I, I could probably even guess what it is. But if, if there's a, if there's a message that you'd like to put out there, that's an important one for you. And maybe it's for the new culture that you're building in Edmonton here, or just something that is close and dear to you. What message would you want to put out to other folks? The one thing that we didn't talk about on this podcast at all is my tattoo. It says the process on it. And I think that would be a big thing. I really have to talk about, you know, is, is trust the process and that life is a journey and it's a series of ups and downs. And I know that it sounds a little, little bit cliche, but it's true. And I think if you actually drill down into that a little bit, is, is I read this one book and in the book it says, happiness comes from solving problems. And so rather than us trying to go through life and figure out how to get rid of all the problems and say, man, if all these problems would be gone, then I would be happier, then it would be better, or then it would be whatever. Own the fact that there's going to be problems no matter what. If you grow personally, you'll just have bigger and different problems. If you grow as a business, you'll have bigger and more expensive problems or whatever it is. And so to me, you can't have ups without downs. Otherwise, they would not be called ups and downs. Like, you can't have one without the other. For me, when I got the tattoo, I knew that. I had been through some stuff 
And then things were going well with WorkNacer. And I said, okay, I need to remember this because it's going to get tougher again. And it's going to be like, we're going to have to grind through this and figure out how to do it. And so I need to remind myself of how I feel right now, the stuff that I'm saying, because it's easy to say that when things are going okay as things. And if you go look at any of my blogs over the past year, it's been a tough one trying to get some stuff figured out. I had to believe in that. I had to say that because it's, I'm sitting, it's on me and people are asking about it. And to me, I think that's the biggest thing is that when you're in it, be okay with it and you're going to get through it. Truly. I know some of it's cliches like buckle up. It doesn't mean it'll be easy. And it doesn't mean you could, you could just throw up your hands and say, well, I'm just going to wait this one out. It's like, well, no, you're going to have to do some work to get through whatever this is. And it can be business. That can be personal. That can be health, mm-hmm. right? That can be whatever it is. It does you no favors to just sit there and say, woe is me. I think it's a great sentiment because it's something that gives people courage, mm-hmm. and maybe even yourself courage, <laughs> totally. to say, you know what, I'm gonna go through it. What I thought you were going to say was, if you help enough people get what they want, uh, you'll get yeah. what you want, the, the quote by Zig Ziglar. But I think that if you do trust in the process, you'll get that, right? 100%. So, Alex, I just wanna thank you so much for taking the time. Where can we catch you on the interweb? I'm Alec, at Alex Putici, P-U-T-I-C-I, on all the things. And then WorkNacer, uh, I don't post personally that much, so everything is just at WorkNacer on all the things as well. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. It was fun. Appreciate it.